Well, good morning, gang. Uh, it's good to be with you today on uh, Friday. My name is Eric Sorensen. I'm the church planner of Epiphany Lutheran Church in New York City, and I'm coming to you from my back courtyard today to continue our series of devotions through Colossians. And uh, what I believe I'll see, uh, we'll see today through our text is that, that really all our deepest longings are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And so without further ado, let's listen to Paul's description of Jesus found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. It goes like this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you blameless, or to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Well, that is a mouthful, but let me, let me begin by sort of setting things up with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Quite a famous quote. He says this, Now the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. And one must be content to accept it in the same way, remembering that it is God's myth where the others are men's myths i.e. the pagan stories are God expressing himself through the minds of poets using such images as he found there while Christianity is God expressing himself through what we call quote real things so very important to know when C.S. Lewis refers to uh, Jesus as the true myth he is not saying it is myth he's saying it actually is something that really happened it's the fulfillment of all of our myths, of all of our hero stories. Uh, and I think it's pretty safe to say, especially here, that we are obsessed uh, with hero stories, with superheroes. And uh, frankly, based on C.S. Lewis' words, it makes a lot of sense. Our love of superheroes is ultimately a reflection of our longings to have someone who can meet our deepest desires, our deepest fears with real peace and hope. And uh, what our text today shows us is that Jesus is the one, the true myth, our true hero. And so the first thing we see Jesus possesses as our true hero is, well, all things. <laughs> That's pretty all-encompassing. Uh, and as such, because he has all things, as verse 16 says, all things were created through him and for him. In verse 17, in him all things hold together. That means that Jesus has quite literally all riches. He owns everything. And since Jesus owns all things, he is the one who bestows any things 
that you and I have. He is the one who can give true riches. Now, uh, money may be a part of those true riches that he bestows, but the truth is that is much, much, much too small of a definition for what we mean when we say Christ has all things. Scripture is replete with promises of Jesus sharing his riches with his body. But the riches are things like contentment and things like grace so that we can continue walking in the faith and things like uh, meeting our daily bread and our daily needs. So Philippians 4.19 famously says, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And Matthew 7, of course, says, uh, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And that word there is uh, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So it is in Jesus only that man can find true riches because he alone has all things. He is the living water that finally quenches our thirst, John 4. He is the living bread that finally satisfies our hunger, John 6. And as Paul will say later on in Colossians 2, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So from Christ, all true riches are found because all things are created through him and for him. But along with this, as our true hero, we see that Jesus alone has true power. Verse 18 says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ is all-powerful. He is God of very God, as the creed says. Uh, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, as our text tells us. And so if you want true power, the only way to get it is to have the power that he gives over sin. And the only place to get it is from him who defeated sin, death, and hell by being the sinless one. So the drug addictions, the booze, the greed, the pornography, the you name it, the things that you can't seem to stop doing, only Jesus has the power to free you from. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands them. He knows them. But in every respect, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Since he is without sin, since he is the one who has that true power, we're urged in verse 16 of Hebrews 4 to then go with confidence to his throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. First uh, Corinthians 10:13 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out. Um, I don't mean to give away any spoilers, but uh, the fact is if you haven't seen the first Avengers movie already, I'm so sorry, I'm going to give away a little piece of the movie. Uh, Loki, uh, the sort of villain in the first Avengers, the demigod in the film, is unleashing his plan of destruction upon, uh, upon America and therefore the world. And, um, and the Hulk comes across him. And Loki enters into this tirade about how he will not fear such a stupid beast like the Hulk. He demands that the Hulk bow down to him. And when the Hulk, grown tired of listening, 
just grabs Loki by the arm and starts smashing him into the ground repeatedly until Loki is just laying there, a complete mess, unable to move. Uh, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's a brilliant little piece of uh, comic book nerd uh, satisfaction. Um, but that is the power that Jesus has over sin. Our sin yells for dominion and authority over us, and Christ comes in and smashes it to death, giving it no more power over you. And because of that, Jesus alone can deliver true peace. Verse 19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, so far, Jesus is seen to be giving us true riches and true power, but now he comes with peace through the blood of his cross. Christ has reconciled his creation with himself. Both inner peace and outer peace have their roots in Jesus. It is not possible to have inner peace without having outer peace with God. In order for the creation to be at peace, they must be reconciled with their creator. The creation, you and I, must know that we're forgiven. We must hear the words of Jesus that there truly is peace between us and God. One of my favorite illustrations of this comes uh, from a short story in the Gospels. The disciples and Jesus are out on a boat when a vicious storm comes. And the disciples are terrified, but Jesus is sleeping through it all. <laughs> he just doesn't seem to have one bit of fear, but the disciples are completely panicked. And so they wake Jesus up, not sure how he could possibly through, sleep through such a thing. And I love the story because he just, he awakes. It's like he wakes the sleep out of his eyes. He gets up and talks to the wind. He says, peace, be still. And the wind ceases, and there's immediately great calm. And then he asked him, him a couple questions. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And it says they were all filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and sea obey him? In the same way that Jesus speaks to the waves, he speaks as a mediator between us and God, saying, Peace. Though your sin has brought many storms and much fear and much anxiety and much panic, Jesus proclaims that he's died for your sins on the cross and therefore declares the war is over. The war is over between you and God. Peace. Be still. Along with true power and true peace, he has true love. Jesus, through true love, won for you forgiveness because he came after you when you were a lost sheep in trespasses and sins. In verse 21, Paul says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now that last bit there is the same type language that Paul uses in Ephesians uh, to describe what husbands are to do for the wives that they love dearly that they are to wash them with the word. That's what we're being told Jesus does for us, his church, his bride. The good shepherd loves his sheep and goes after his sheep. As he says in John 10, uh, he lays down his life for the sheep. 
Luke 15 tells us that he loves every sheep so much that he'll leave the 99 to go after the one. Romans 5 really summarizes it this way, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Why? Because he's showing his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on in verse 10 of chapter 5 of Romans, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So, Jesus is the only one that can deliver true riches because he possesses all things. True power because he has defeated sin, death, and hell. True peace because he declares to God that it is finished. And finally, uh, and true love, of course, that's what motivates him. And then finally, true hope. Look at the end of verse 22 with me. He says, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Hope. He is the only one in this world that can give you true hope that won't disappoint. Why? Because he alone knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Therefore, his promises are trustworthy and reliable. No matter what circumstances we face, if we have Jesus as Lord, the Scripture's promises is that we can face it with unconquerable hope. Even when the temporal heroes on earth may die, that we put our trust in so often, you can have hope. For me, my grandfather was my hero growing up. Uh, our homes were filled with stories uh, about him. Uh, he just—he was a great storyteller and had lots of lots of interesting uh, events happen in his life. He's just a real character. Um, <clears throat> and my friends, because there were so many stories about him, heard uh, so much about him too and got to know him. It was pretty well known in my family that he was sort of the the childhood hero. Um, but our heroes here died, and my grandfather eventually uh, died as well. And I'll never forget my friend uh, Chris, upon hearing the news of my grandfather's death, showed up to my house and saw my father, my grandfather's son. And he just looked at him, shook his hand, and said, Wow, what do you say when Superman dies? What do you say when Superman dies? That was exactly how we felt at the time. But here's ultimately what those who have Jesus can say. We do not grieve as those who have no hope because Jesus has risen from the dead. Hope does not put us to shame, Romans 5 says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so 1 Corinthians 15:55 declares with almost a shout of triumph, O oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Jesus has ruling, uh, has risen and rules and reigns on the throne now. Our hero has indeed won the battle. So in closing, <clears throat> the question for all of us is what kinds of heroes are we tempted to put in the place of the true hero, of the true myth? Who are we looking to for true riches, true satisfaction, true power, true peace, true love, true hope? What imitation heroes have we been placing our trust in? 
I know for me on a daily basis, it's all sorts of things. It's never just one thing, but there's all sorts of things that I can look to to be the hero that only Jesus can be. And sure, all of them may have some of these kinds of qualities, but just like you and me, they're flawed and they're weak. They can't deliver. They can't do the things that only Jesus can do. And so as you go into your weekend, instead of looking to all these other things, even if they're good things to be your hero, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God in victory in power forever and ever. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.